Are you ready for farm freedom? It's not just, you know, muddy pigs and roosters crowing and walking around in boots all the time. You know, it's a lot more than that. You can make money from this lifestyle, more so than just selling extra eggs at a roadside stand. Welcome to another episode of the Farm Freedom Podcast. I guess we'll call it Homesteading 101, Part 2. We wanted to take a closer look at, I guess we'll call it land features, property features. Um, Basically, what are you working with? So, there's definitely some considerations if you're buying homestead land in terms of what you want to do on on the homestead. Um, you know, you're not going to have a one acre garden if you buy a two acre property that's 1.75 acres of woods, right? Not without a lot of work to clear it. You're not going to start a beef farm if you buy woods, you know, you're not going to make money off of timbering or make homemade cutting boards if you buy an X cornfield, right? That's all vacant land. You're going to be waiting 20, 30, 40 years before you're growing up your timber enough to do anything with it. So obviously knowing that this podcast gets into homemade money ideas and making money off of your homestead, once you start doing that, it turns into a farmstead. We know where we are, right? At our place, our farm. We know what we looked for going into it from a homesteading approach. But now we're really at the point where we're looking at it more so in terms of how can we make a profit off of our land, off of our livestock, off of our garden, off of whatever it is that we can do with this place. Um, and so we've, we've in the past year shifted from we want a homestead to we want a farmstead. And so this episode, we really wanted to take a fresh look, I guess, at land considerations, property considerations that we're looking at differently now with this different set of you know, rose-colored glasses on, I guess. As a good example, we have a couple, probably a couple, what, a couple acres of just open grass kind of meadow space, I guess you'd call it. It it was our lawn at one point, but we kind of let it go. Yeah, I mean, they mowed it, but I would just call it like open, like, could be a meadow, could just be an open, like, mini field, but there's trees in it. Could be just like your front yard, whatever. Um... But we bought this place and we looked at that going, oh, that would be such a cool spot to let it, you know, be natural, be like a wildflower meadow. It's right around our pond. It would be so picturesque. You know, now we're sitting here, we've, we've, like I said, we've shifted. We're looking at things from the business side of what can we do with that space instead of just paying taxes on what looks nice and you know, that's great, but there, there's still room for us to put some wildflowers over there in our new plants. But, you know, I would call those more of like the pastoral picturesque images, you know, the Norman Rockwell of homesteading almost. Those kind of thoughts have really kind of shifted aside a little bit because I'm thinking instead, well, rather than pack it full of wildflowers or leave it to be grass or whatever it is, can I use that space to make money, but not ruin the natural aesthetic of it, but have it earn for me? I think something that you could do if you're just starting out 
that would help you a lot is to figure out some of the things that you want to do on your land before you start making considerations Absolutely. of your land. You want to know what features are important to you before you even go look. Because you might find a piece of property that you're like, wow, this property is gorgeous, but then it's not good for what you want to do. Right. And that's exactly what we were saying of, you know, you're not going to, if you are dead set on being a bee farmer, don't buy wooded land. I don't care the price. Don't buy it. It's going to take you so much time and money and effort to get the timber cleared, to get the soil where it needs to be, put in fencing and infrastructure and all of that. And we'll get into that. But um, that's actually a good lead in for kind of the first thoughts of, you know, don't buy woods if you want to have a grass fed beef farm. Right. Don't uh, don't buy super dry land if you want to grow cranberries. You might want to actually have a swamp in that case when most other cases you don't want a swamp. Yeah, you're going to get a good deal on land because you're going to buy those wetlands and those flood zone places that all the rest of us are like, no thanks. Yeah, I can't, I don't need I, that. I can't raise beef in a, a swamp. So. Right, you can't raise anything in a swamp. Well, almost anything in a swamp. You could raise a lot of ducks though. Tadpoles. Gross. You know, again, obviously if you're just looking at land... You're going to have some basic, we'll call them land composition composition considerations of, you know, what's the elevation. If you're really high in the mountains, certain breeds of animals are not going to do well. You know, certain chickens, for example, there are chicken breeds that do fine at higher elevations and there are altitudes, I should say. And there are certain chicken breeds that are going to do really poorly at higher altitudes. So consider your elevation, consider... Um, the slope in your topography, consider, like we said, woods versus fields, um, what kind of, what kind of space you have to work with without having to clear the land or, or anything like that. Wetlands is a consideration and you can, where did we find that? I forget what the abbreviation is and NC, NCWS or something like that, but I don't know, Google like the national wetlands mapper. That there's there's a like a digital map online that you can you can type in an address and look at it and see what the wetlands are around you, and that's important because if there's wetlands on your property, depending on the size and the level of protection, whether it's state or federal, etc., you may actually not be able to do a damn thing with that land without getting approval. for For us, it's from the DEC and the Army Corps of Engineers before you're allowed to do anything with wetlands over a certain acreage size. If it, I mean, whether, like for us, it's, I think, what, 10 acres, 10, 12 acres and above, I think, is the the minimum for it. That if it's above that size, like if the wetlands is above that many acres, the 10, 12, it doesn't matter if only an acre of it is on your property. That entire wetland unit cannot be altered without getting in touch and getting the plans, you know, approved through these organizations. So that's something to look at. Um, a really awesome tool if your county has it. For us, it's county level. Um, but a really awesome tool if your county has it is finding what's called your GIS maps that you can pull up property boundaries. You can pull up tax zones. You can pull up zoning, topography and elevation, all that sort of stuff. We got to know the GIS map system very, very well for our county because every property we looked at 
we didn't even go see it in person until we had done like Google Earth, Street View, <laughs> GIS maps, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's also, honestly, it's been valuable since we've moved in because we've been studying the elevation um, across the property and, you know, it's those wiggly lines across the map and how does it change? How does it shift? What's the drainage look like? We do have a few spots that retain water um, on our property after after a hard rain. So that's definitely something we've, you know, needed to look at a little bit more. But that's a really good resource, both for when you're looking into, is this good land to buy for farming, for homesteading? It's also great resources, though, um, for planning what to do with your land. I mean, a good example for us is that, you know, we're in, I don't want to call it a flood zone because it's not, it's like a 1% flood chance. We're but the 100-year flood zone. The flood zone that we're, we're not, we're actually not in the 100-year hmm. floodplain. For the flood zone um, designation that we're in, it's actually part of the building code that any structure you build, the lowest level floor, including a basement and a house, has to be two foot above the base flood elevation level. And so that's been something that we learned that when we talked to the town um, about, you know, hey, we're going to want to build a barn someday. What kinds of things do we need to start thinking about? And they told us that. And that was really great to pull up the GIS map, find out what our base flood elevation was, figure out what the different spots on our property were, where the best placement was going to be, all that kind of stuff. And we'll get into the infrastructure in a minute. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you're going to want to look at like i said before you buy you're also going to want to look into it probably deeper as you consider um maybe how you're going to shift what you do on your farm because i mean you might you might be totally maxed out on using every inch of space and using it effectively and efficiently and that's fantastic if there's any chance that you're going to shift what you're already doing and change where your fences go or put in a new a new barn or a second barn or I don't know you're gonna go add goats to your farm where you haven't had them or, or something and you want to put in a small shelter within a pasture don't put it in the lowest lying part of the pasture because it's just gonna get wet put it in the higher side of the pasture right it, you might and there not might even be, be allowed to put it in the lower part because depending on what you're right your zoning and your flood zones and wetlands and all that kind of stuff but i mean if you do have for example a more uh a more moist property like we do certain times of the year that's i mean walking across the land you wouldn't necessarily notice where the low spots are unless it's been pouring for a couple of days and you step in the puddles even that's inaccurate because right in front of our barns puddles up as one of the worst spots on our whole property, but it's actually the highest elevation point on our entire property. But because of, you Just know, poor because of the way, right, because of the way that they built up to build these buildings here, there's some of that kind of stuff where, you know, looking at those maps and seeing those elevations and drainage patterns and all that kind of stuff has been huge. And I think you'll figure out that we're total nerds for this kind of stuff. Um, that we love sitting here combing through maps and digging into zoning and codes and the technicals and everything. For some reason, that totally fascinates us. So that's totally our jam. Maybe it's not yours. If you need help figuring it out, hit us up. Send us a message. We'll help you figure it out. But but yeah, that's that's a good point, though, or a, a, good, uh, a good segue into 
infrastructure, right? Because that's a big reason why we, even a year after buying our property, are still regularly pulling up these GIS maps and satellite images and everything. Um, Google, actually Google Earth, that's another good one. If you want to really get in there and look at look at some topography. But I've been pulling up our GIS maps a lot lately um, and looking at, they have historical images that I want to say, we're recording this in 2021. They have images going back to, I want to say it's like 2006 for this property. Um, so that's actually been super fun to just slide through real quick and see how overgrown it's gotten, <laughs> watch the trees grow and everything. But that's also been really helpful to watch. You know, they're not taking it the same time every year, every month, whatever. So it's been helpful to see where some of the spots in the property that we haven't really gotten to yet, but we know that that's where we want to pasture. That's where we want to grow something. That's where we want to barn. That historical satellite image collection is really useful if you have it for your property to see some of these, um, like see how, you know, how wet a place is. You can see how brown the grass gets in the summer. Um, and so that's been really great because like one of our wettest spots in our front yard actually is one of the most brown spots in the summer too still. So, you know, that then lends itself to considerations of what is the soil composition there? How do we need to alter that before we can grow anything there? You know, and that's, that's a whole different topic. So we won't get into that. But in terms of looking through GIS map, um, our purposes, like we said, is for kind of planning out infrastructure. We have some infrastructure. We were lucky in that sense. Um, we've been helping some friends and family look for property for them to start homesteading recently. Um, and most of what they're finding is like, here's a house and it might have a shed. But it's actually surprising the number of what I would call homestead potential properties that really have nothing more than a house. And so we found ourselves kind of in the middle of we don't, have just a house but we don't have farm infrastructure so we've had to really put all of that in ourselves yeah when you're looking at property you've really got to take a look at barns what's there you know what you want to do kind of like we were talking about before and what kind of barn it is too absolutely because a dairy cow barn is not going to serve your purposes the same as a small horse barn yeah we uh we have metal barns that are not meant really for animals. We make them work nope. for animals. I mean, don't get us wrong that you can you can have metal pole barns that are designed and meant, intended to be used as animal barns. Ours were intended to be used to store classic cars. So they are very much not, right? Like one barn was the cars. One barn was the, the shop for working on those cars. The other one was um, an equipment barn. I was going to say the other two, I think, were both equipment and just like general storage. Yep. So they were definitely not built with animals in mind. They were built with completely different purpose in mind. We have, I think, done a very respectable job of building stalls out of pallets for our goats in those barns. Well, in one of them. But I know that I'm not going to be able to put a cow in there or a horse or even a tiny little pony for our kids to ride. We're not um, even sure if we can put pigs in there. We could put pigs, but they wouldn't like that it's got a plywood floor. Yep. Um, you know, and, and more importantly is that ours are not at all well-placed to be animal barns. 
It's hard um, to put a pasture anywhere near them because it's too close to the property right. line, too close to trees that are too thick and for too animals far to live from in. space that isn't the house and the fruit orchard and our fire pit, <laughs> our parking spaces. Yeah, and they're not pretty either. Well, I mean, they're pretty enough. All they yeah. have to do is serve a function. They don't have to look that nice. Doesn't matter what color they are. Yeah, we we definitely though. Um, Anybody who's listening to this, it, that explains why it is that we trained our goats to be free rangers because we just honestly have been a little bit lazy and a little bit thrown off track with some medical stuff recently uh, that we still haven't finished building our goat pasture. So, you know, eventually we will get that fencing finished and we will get our goats their own little hut and their own little space and all that good stuff. But... Until then, thank God goats can free range and they learn how to come when they're called. Um, but, you know, that's a consideration, too, that we bought this place, you know, for us, knowing that maybe we could make it work to, like, shove some chickens in one of these barns or do what we did with pallet stalls, some kind of a conversion for it. But we knew going into it that we are not going to get our farm where we want it to be unless we can go build a, you know, I'll call it the traditional red barn a little farther back on the property. Yeah, we know I mean, it's not going to work otherwise. We had talked about using the barns for chickens and instead ended up building a very large chicken coop. because Cluck we Castle. Yeah, we didn't really have another option to do what we wanted to chicken-wise. Right, for our uh, <clears throat> number of chickens. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which we could actually fit more chickens if we had just let them loose in the barn. We should have done that. Yeah, that, that's true. Just go from side to side, 24-foot wide roosts. Just put a bunch of those in. We would have had a lot of chickens. We made a mistake. Yeah, more infrastructure <laughs> that's important that obviously hasn't been easy for us is fencing. Right. Um, it's expensive. Even basic fencing isn't expensive. For us, the hardest part about doing fencing is definitely the brush level. That it's been so um, untended land for, I would say, at least a decade, if not longer, in certain areas of the property. That we've got, you know, one to two inch diameter, you know, weed trees, ash trees growing up that we've, not weed trees, I shouldn't say that, ash trees <laughs> um, that, that are growing up. That, you know, that's not just oh, I'm going to just go mow the lawn and it'll be fine. You know, it's not just long grass. It's like we got to get a chain and we got to yank it out by the roots kind of thing. Um, we also have really hard clay soil. Yeah, the, which the, the top three inches, the, the posts go through like nothing, but then they, the clay, right. it's, it's, it's impossible to dig. So we definitely need to have the right equipment to, you know, get post hole diggers and all that kind of stuff. Um which is why infrastructure is really important for those of you who are looking for land, that if you can find a awesome place that has at least a couple acres of pre-fenced pasture, even if it's a 400 acre property, I don't care, you can at least get started a lot quicker if you don't have to literally build your chicken coop from the ground up and put in a pasture from the ground up for other livestock. Huge, huge difference. If we could, if we could change one thing about this place, it would have, I mean, we've said this from day one, man, if only they could have just built one good livestock barn somewhere on this property instead of these three pole barns, 
that would have been money. But there's always the chance that it's in the wrong spot, which is another consideration that just because a farm has a house and a barn and fences does not mean that it's the best layout it could be. You know, you said that that's one of the uh, biggest problems with this property. I think another big problem is a giant eyesore that we have sitting out back. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's uh, a good point. I'm How do you work around problem spots on your property? Call it that. Because, like, the barns are a problem spot, so they fit with that. So the one of our big problem spots is a train caboose that came with the property. It's in bad shape. It's not something that we have the time, energy, or money to work on. Definitely not. And it's right exactly where we want to build our new house eventually. And, and even if we didn't build a house, that was one of the spots where we talked about putting in a pasture. Because it's great and it's wide open and we could connect it to the barn and make it like a fenced, can you know, like, like the way it should be. But we were really not sure we wanted animals in a place where they could potentially eat lead paint. <laughs> yeah, so we've been trying to sell it, but the cost of moving it is absolutely it ridiculous. It costs like four times as much to move it as we would even be able to sell it for. Yeah. And even if we want to move it, it's going to cost us, what, like twenty or $30,000 out of pocket to move it? Even if we, well, if we find the right place to donate it to, right, train museum or something, that might be less. But, like, if we foot the bill for getting it off the property, it's going to be insane. And I, I know other people that have bought properties where there's an acre of land that's just covered with old equipment. And it's like, mm -hmm. what do you do with that old equipment? One of the things that we're looking at a little differently too from homesteading versus turning this into a, you know, a money-making farm is water availability. Obviously, we have water at our house, you know. We drink and we shower and all that good stuff. We wash our clothes sometimes. We wash our kids rarely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but having water at the house is one thing. If your barn is right near your house, you can, you know, run a line pretty easily. Right this minute, if I won the lottery and I built a barn where I wanted on the property, we would have to figure out how to get water. I want to say it's, what, 800 to 1,000 feet away from the house? And that's a lot of hoses to connect together. You'd have no pressure by the time you got there. Yep. Uh, or you'd have to have some pretty good size containers to be able to get water back there to any animals we had back there in the barn. So... Relevant to both adding infrastructure or moving infrastructure on your farm as well as if you're building new is can you can you get well water where you need it, when you need it? And we're lucky where we're at because there's a huge water table under us and not a lot of people using it because everybody else is on city water while we're <laughs> the very small yeah, area our, of being on well. Our county is very heavily public water. And there's actually, it's, it's a lot less common to come across. Even, even in a more rural space that we're getting towards, it's still like the next road that's a quarter mile from our, like we'd walk quarter mile down the road and you're at the next road and that's public water, I think. Yeah, there's, but, there's fire hydrants all down right. that road, but not down our road. So, so we don't even get high speed internet. We're on a jetpack from Verizon. So, I mean, 
maybe we shouldn't be the ones to talk about <laughs> utility access. But Yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind. If you want high-speed internet on your property, you might want to check that before you buy it. Oh, which speaking of, that's a good point too, is cell phone service. Because his mother's house, um, she just built a house and subdivided off the one she was living in. So she's in technically a different spot and our phones work there. The house that she was living in, like what, 200 feet down the road, right? Yep. You literally would pull into our driveway and AT and T service. It just would. It would all of a sudden. You'd literally, if you're in the road, you'd have one or two bars. You pull in her driveway, you'd have no service. It was insane, and she's literally 200 feet up the road. And now, and my now, phone works fine. and now AT and T works there. So luckily, I had Verizon, so that every time we went there, it was like, oh, okay, my phone works. Yours doesn't. And now, I, I mean, I know some of us want to be kind of out on our own but at the same time you need to be able to most of get in us touch with people at times even if you're going off grid i don't think anybody's going that off grid anymore absolutely <laughs> so just you know just don't be like us because we honest to god I, we're two miles from my parents they have high speed internet we're 15 minutes from the airport and we don't have internet like <laughs> it still blows my mind honestly but definitely a thought if you're planning on buying new property um or maybe even if you're just going to build a house 200 feet up the road from your old house you might find that your internet works differently or your cell phone service works differently so like if your mom had done that in reverse and built the house where the old house was you know then she would have been like oh shit my cell phone stopped working well and another issue she had when she was building her house is that it's set quite a ways off the road and getting electricity to it was not easy for them. They had to run a very large amount of wire themselves. And mm-hmm. yeah, the municipality ran some of it, but they right. had to pay a lot to get power to their house. And we're looking at that same problem too for expanding our farm because the power comes to the house and then it goes to the barns and then it runs from the barn to this train car. We won't even get into that. So now it's like this totally complex, you know, wavering path underground. And we have no idea where those lines are. Right. So we got to figure all that out. And do we go off of the um, the train car electricity to go power the barn? Do we try and go from the pole barns and wiggle it across the property to get through the trees and back to the, the new barn we want to build? Or do we put up solar panels? Do we give up and go and, solar? And right. get battery packs? Um, but again, these are definitely considerations as we're thinking about expanding our farm to be a money-making farm because all of this is going to cost a ton. And so do we want to do these? Th- you know, it's it's that catch-22 of I need to be able to afford to build a barn and run electric and dig a well back there or whatever it's got to be, right? Or I'd, I should say I'd like to be able to afford those. But do I need to or do I want to generate a profit from my current setup as the way to start funding this other stuff? And so that's that's kind of where we started to really shift how we looked at things from homesteading and, oh, isn't this so, you know, picturesque and quaint? And then it was like, well, wait a minute, if we're going to go build this barn, is there a way that we can make the barn pay for itself in a way? Right? Is there a way that we could make the farm pay for this barn, not just us paying for the barn? 
right? And and let's admit it, we're going to have to sell an insane amount of eggs <laughs> to pay for the barn. So obviously, we're going to find some ways, right? And this is the podcast for it. We're going to find some ways to kind of cheat the system and start pushing the needle on how much money this farm can make before we go and build, you know, a $60,000 barn and put in a bunch of fences and all that kind of stuff. Because even the little things, I know this is totally off topic from land features, but infrastructure, working with what you have, we made it work to get goats on our farm so that they can be dairy animals for us so that we can stop buying so many dairy products from the store. If not all of our dairy products, we can stop buying from the store. We'll see how well I do at making cheese and yogurt. Um, we wanted the goats so that we can start making goat milk soaps and shampoo bars and that sort of stuff, because that then offsets where I need to spend my money elsewhere, right? And I can obviously go funnel that into the you know barn fund or whatever, whatever the next project for the farm is kind of thing. And so... That's kind of those little nuances of using the infrastructure you have, even if it's not great. If we can get to where these goats are replacing soap costs, replacing dairy costs, that's actually pretty big in our family. Because I got to be honest, ever since we moved to a farm, we go through a lot more soap. You know? Hands get dirty a lot easier. Yeah. And like, even though our kids seem like they take baths less often, we still go through more soap. It's really weird. I don't, I don't understand the math, but it's there. But yeah. Well, along with that, you got to look out, look at the layout of your infrastructure. Right. Because that if, aerial view, that Google Earth. If your barns are all right on top of each other, it might be hard to work with, and that's kind of our issue right now. All, all right. three of our barns are right next to each other, mm-hmm. and. You know, you kind of see if you can do what you want to do with it. Right. And And actually, another thing, too, um, a lot of old farms, the barns are really close to the road. Uh, Whether the barn or the road came first, who knows? But that actually might be something um, to consider. Whether you're looking or whether you're already there, it's probably grandfathered in. But technically, in our zoning for our farm... All animal housing needs to be a minimum of 100 feet from the property line. If your barn is 40 feet off the property line, is it grandfathered in? Or are you going to be in violation of town codes by having livestock in it, right? Like, I'm hoping if you're hearing this, you're not going like, oh, shit, what do I do with my cow, right? Um, But, yeah, having that layout considered of where do things go, how does it all fit, because... You know, if you just take the next available open space and turn it into a pasture, you're going to end up with a very different farm than if you look at the whole picture. And that's not just the whole picture today. That's the whole picture long term. Like, what is your farm going to look like this year? What is it going to look like one year from today? And what is it going to look like, you know, the typical like goal setting 5, 10, 20 years from now? I think it's important to look at the layout and decide how to make money off as much of the land as you can. Yes. And we we just sat down and looked at the layout of our property mm-hmm. saying, okay, this area, we're going to do goat yoga. This area, we're going to grow flowers. You know, what can we do to make money with each piece of well, the property? Well, not necessarily what to make money with each piece of the property. Some of it's just for us. Yes. Some of it you, you know, still have I to mean, enjoy. Like my bee yard, 
obviously the bees would make money from their honey, but I want to turn it into a, you know, a wildflower pollinator garden just because I think it would look nice. <laughs> so that's just for me. But yeah, that's, that's, I mean, how much time have we spent now looking at Google Earth again and GIS maps and getting property lines and, and measuring distances and everything. And it's a lot easier than tromping around in long grass with a not long enough tape measure and screaming at each other and watching kids and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, we've been looking a lot at, you know, if we want to do goat yoga, for example, we live on a road that doesn't even have a shoulder, you know, so it's not like we can just tell people park on the road and I don't want people parking all the way up the driveway to my house, to my barns, the way our, our property is. So, you know, we want to do goat yoga. Sounds like a really great money maker. Surprisingly, there's a ton of people in our town that are like, oh my God, please do it. We want to come. <laughs> And so if that's a thing, right, where are we going to put those cars, right? Where are you going to put cars if you have goat yoga because you're going to need, you know, a dozen plus cars at once perhaps? Where could people park if you do a roadside stand? Where can people park if you're selling frozen pastured chicken from your farm? How's that pickup going to look? Um, do you want to have an actual you know, a little shed for a farm stand? Are you just going to have a cart that you can wheel around? Cabinet at the end of the road kind of thing, or the end of the drive, I mean. Where are they going to, where are they going to be? Where are they going to get out? What kind of snow or mud or anything are they going to have to walk through to get to it? Are you going to do farm tours as one of your, um, you know, homemade money ideas? Do you, do you have the kind of farm that you can open it up and, and have open farm and people pay you know, a few bucks for admission to get in kind of thing. And they can feed treats to your goats and scratch your pigs behind the ears and have a chicken sit on their head and, and whatever they're gone. You know, it's a short, short family friendly kind of thing. But where are those people going to park? What's the best flow for a pathway to follow through your farm to do this? Or are you going to have it as just come to this one special made, you know, small paddock kind of thing. And I'm going to bring my animals to the people or, yeah, you, know, you also you know. need to figure out with your layout where you're going to put your garden so that your goats mm -hmm. don't eat all of your garden. No, your chickens. Your chickens and your goats. Well, most people don't free range their goats like we do, so that's probably not as big a problem as the chickens. <laughs> the chickens will get out and they'll get to wherever they want. But, um, yeah, but I mean, everything from where am I going to put this, that, the other thing for my homesteading efforts... But when you're adding in that income side, um, you know, where, where and how can I expand my garden so that we can start doing a CSA off of our farm? Do you have the room to expand it where it is? Do you want to expand it where it is? Or do you want an entirely separate garden so that you know that this plot is for my family only? I don't care what happens to the CSA garden if if bugs invade, you know, like put a wall down and if that garden gets decimated by bugs, yes, I lose income, but my family's garden is still fine. We're going to eat this. We're not going to sell it. Vice versa. Are you going to treat the CSA garden or the CSA section? Are you going to take from that to feed your family or are you going to keep them completely separated? Right. Um, you also need to know where you're going to put your equipment because you don't want your tractor is just parked out in the middle of nowhere well that's why you buy a place with a barn 
depends on the right? type of barn and <laughs> a lot of things about that. As long as there's a roof and it's not going to cave in tomorrow, it counts. Pavilion I, I counts as true. barn storage. A pavilion and a big tarp if you need to. But where's your garden going to go? Where's your pastures going to go? Where's your backyard for your kids to play? We've been having a hell of a time figuring out where to put a swing set for our kids that we bought it in April and it is still in boxes in the one barn waiting for us to figure out where it goes because the couple spots that we thought it was going to go thank god we had some real heavy rain and we went uh never mind our kids are only going to be able to use that like two months out of the year because it's going to be too squishy and muddy yeah we don't want to have to have them wear life jackets while they're playing on the swing set and that's yeah (laughs) no we don't (laughs) although our one our, our son would just for kicks and giggles he does love wearing a life jacket for some reason. And then he keeps asking you to get your boat out, and there's nowhere to canoe in our yard, even when it's really wet. But unrelated, never mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, even something as simple as where does the swing set go, right? Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you do. Maybe your kids are teenagers and it doesn't matter. But um, that's actually been, that. I think that's been our most difficult struggle when we've been working on it, because we had a rough kind of I shouldn't say rough we had I literally have a piece of paper hung on the wall over here that it's a it's a printed screenshot of maps of like a satellite image of our whole property and I had put it into I think I had it on my iPad and I like did the markup tool and I drew the lines and I wrote what everything was going to be and like this is the horse pasture and this is the section where we're going to grow grain or einkorn or whatever it's going to be. And here's where the barn's going to go. Here's where this is going to Right? I did the whole thing. Um, and I had that before we even bought this place. Because, like I said, you're going to figure out this is, this is kind of our jam of doing these maps and these plans and these figuring and all that stuff. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to buy a place if we didn't at least have something of an idea of is this going to work for all the different you know animals we want for the garden we want for the family space that we want does it does it have a place for us to have picnic table or have a patio set and you know have a cookout and enjoy you know a grilled dinner in the summer outside can we do that can we can we fit that in somewhere this property had a lot of check marks for us we had a rough idea going in but we still have seen over the past year that every so often you have that thought of like, well, if we want to do this, then, you know, this fence line over here needs to move or the chicken coop should move or, you know, whatever it might be. And we've recently had some totally brand new ideas come to mind from various sources for, oh, yeah, that's a great idea for making money. We could do that. Could we do that? Can it fit? Can we make it fit? Where on our property would we would we add that in? Um, but one of the things for us that's been kind of difficult about that is that, you know, I can raise pigs in the back and nobody needs to see them. It's not it's it's not like the touristy side of the farm. I just need housing and a good pasture, right? And there, you know, if you're selling grass-fed beef or something or grass-fed pork, there may be people who say, "Well, I want to see where your pigs are." That's your choice if you want to take them back there and show them where you're raising them. Um, But, you know, generally speaking, people are like, is it pork? Is it healthy? Is it, you know, free from diseases and whatever? Um, But 
you know, if you want to put you pick pumpkins on your farm, do you want that in your backyard? You know, do you want that right near your front porch? <laughs> do you, you know, so 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, if people are coming to pick pumpkins, you're not going to enjoy a cup of coffee and relax on the porch because there's going to be somebody right off your porch picking a pumpkin, right? Um, but as we've, as we've wondered if some of these new homemade money ideas can come in, like this goat yoga that we kind of were toying with back in the spring, never made it happen this year for various reasons, but we're in, I would say we're in the solid planning stages of ironing out all the things we need to, you know, apply for a permit with the town for this and that, and the logistics of where is parking, right? Like we said for the farm scene and stuff, and we mentioned this earlier, but where are these people going to park? How are they going to get to, um, you know, from the parking space? Like what's, is there a certain walk path? Do we want to just let them walk wherever they go to get there? Do we want to put in a pathway? Is there room for all of this? Um, how does putting in, you know, a special spot to do goat yoga, how does that maybe shift the layout of where we wanted to grow pumpkins or expand our, our personal apple orchard. It's, it's just for us. It'll never be a, you know, a you pick or anything like that. Um, but another thing for us has been, we really, really enjoy the privacy of this property because the way that they place the house and planted a ton of trees and stuff around it, you pretty much cannot see the house from the road. This time of year when the leaves are gone, you can see, I want to say it's like a four foot corner of the house like halfway up and that's it over a shrub. But that's really all you can see. The number of people who are like, wow, we didn't realize anything was up this driveway. Always wondered, drive by it all the time, never knew what was there. And and even with that, there's still so much property behind it. Mm -hmm. It's not like the house is all the way at the back. The house is on like the front few acres. It yeah. actually, like for how big we have for a property, it's actually very close to the road. I mean, it's, it's still a good few hundred feet off the road, but it's very close compared to a 1,500 foot deep property. Um, but we've really enjoyed the privacy of it. And that's something that we realize has become very important to us. So I don't want to put, you know, a goat yoga pasture on my property if it means you're going to be looking in my, you know, living room window. Um, I don't want to put parking spaces where you're going to be parking your car right next to mine just for you know, personal belonging, safety. I don't need to get door dings in my own driveway, you know, anything like that. Well, and you also want to be able to get out of your own driveway exactly. while events are going on that a yoga instructor is doing instead of you. Well, we should still, you know, one of us would be here, but yeah, if it's like, oh shoot, we're on milk. Can you go run to the grocery store? Yeah, you should, you should be able to get out of your own driveway as you see fit, regardless of anything else. But, you know, these are the little... I guess the nuances of shifting your mindset from homestead to farm that, I mean, it was just earlier today that we pulled out that satellite map with the sketches on it, the one from before we moved in. And, you know, we're doing the markup tool again with new colors. And it's like, well, this fence line needs to move. The garden needs to be bigger. So this is going to have to shift over. And this pasture that we thought was going to be for this is now going to be for that animal. Um, you know, here's where parking and goat yoga could go, which means we're going to want to plant a couple of trees right here so that it blocks the view of my house and backyard and all that kind of stuff. And we've got to move a couple landscape beds that served a purpose at one point, but uh, 
don't serve much purpose right. for us now. Right. And so, yeah, you really you really start to look at your, I'm going to call it land composition. Um, that and, and that's a that's actually an interesting point, too, to go back to that, is that we are, for some reason, and I'm not sure why, but we are actually really, other than clearing brush, we are really trying to put in what we can with as little changes to the property as we can. That, you know, obviously if I'm going to have people park cars and I know that that spot can get a little bit soft after rain, so I know I'm going to have to, you know, put down some soil or some gravel or something. We'll figure that out. You know, these are, these are down the road logistics, but, um, you know, I know I'm going to have to do that. There's two smaller, I guess you'd call them flower beds, but it's all like shrubs and stones. So those are easy to move, but we're gonna we're gonna take those out and move them, well, remove them, and not do anything with it. Um, but we're gonna take a couple of those out just to make it easier for the parking space. There's one tree that we'd cut down that's half dead anyway. Same thing, um, like for where the garden is that we want to expand that a little bit, and so there's a line of pine trees that have been so eaten by deer that they're not really growing anyway. We cut one of them down last year as our Christmas tree, so we'll do that again, and theory has it, we'll... I, I think each year our tree's going to get more Charlie Brown-like. <laughs> yeah, eventually we're going to have these real sad-looking things, but, you know, point being um, that for us, that was actually something really important because we loved this property for... It's just, it's got enough... Um, Character. Yeah, casual placement of trees whether that was human placed or nature placed I don't know but the placement of the trees there's some really I would call them almost magical little spots that you feel like you're walking through like a fairy woodland even though you know you're obviously not <laughs> um that we don't we don't want to mess that up you know this this land in particular we know has been very much left alone forever um because you know, the people who built the house here just bought the land in the 70s. So it's been, it was vacant land, farmland in the back. But most of it was pretty vacant land for who knows how long. There's some very right? established trees all over the oh, property. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have some very old trees in the woods in the back. Um, and so it's just been really important to us to just kind of let Mother Nature do what she does and keep as much of her here as we can, I suppose. Um, but that obviously makes it a little bit trickier to plan. You know, we have a gorgeous kind of trailway leading back to our, our back field that's going to be pastures and, and grain fields someday. I don't want to get rid of the pine trees that line that on either side because it is just such a cool feeling to walk down that trail. That obviously means that I can't expand my garden in that direction. Um, you know, I can only go so far with the horse pasture because we want to retain some of the, the, you know, little clumps of woods here and there and plant around them. And There's a great hedgerow between where the garden is and that back field, and I don't want that to go away because right. it's just a great divider. Mm -hmm. Just we want to preserve those parts of the property just because 
Someone obviously cleared some space, but left some of that intentionally. Um, and that's, that, I think that's really the take-home point, or one of the take-home points is that, you know, work with what you have property-wise. If there's obvious points of, you know, segmenting or delineation, go with it, right? Work with what you have. Don't make it harder than you have to, to, you know, make the infrastructure work for what you want it to be. Um, work with what you have building wise before you, you know, don't just up and decide, well, if I want to do X, Y, Z, I must have a new barn, a new coop, a new fence, a new whatever, you know, you can make a lot of things work around what looks like a problem, right? Because like our train car is a massive eyesore, but you know, all it's doing right now is preventing me from using that as farm space right where I want to build a house, which I'm sure is going to turn out to be a really great thing so that we don't end up, right? We would have probably put that as our chicken pasture and had a coop and then we wouldn't be able to build a house because we'd have a chicken coop in the way and we'd have to figure that out. So I would rather have to figure out moving a train car than moving a whole chicken pasture and totally reworking the entire farm plan. Um, but yeah, I think I think the other takeaway is if your land has character and you love it, don't sacrifice it for your farm. And if you're looking for land, look for land with magic because it's worth it. Yeah, it makes the, the tough times when you're standing there going, I don't want to do this anymore. It makes it easier when you have that magic around you. Oh, absolutely. The number of times that I've been in an awful mood cleaning out goat stalls, and then I got to go drive the trailer back to the field where we're making the hay pile, the clean out pile, just going down that trail back to the back field. It's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Yep. Like, I will clean out the goats, and I every time I do it, I'm always mad because <laughs> I'm yelling at my kids to stop flinging poop because <sighs> they're so helpful. Yelling at the dog to stop eating poop. Yep, and yelling at that puppy to stop eating poop. And then I go down that trail, and it's like, man, I should clean out the goat stalls more often because I love this drive down the trail. But long and short of it. Find land that's going to work for you. If you're looking for land, find land that works not just for today, but for your future plans too. If you're already at your farm listening to this, give it a fresh look. Try a new satellite view or, you know, just walk around and record a video as you walk around your property or something. Try and give it a new look and see how you can make it better and more conducive to these homemade money ideas. Depending on which one you pick, you may or may not need to worry about the outside, right? But is there a way to repurpose what you've already got going on and make it better? 